Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Willem van Denderen joining us from Doha to run the rule over the past week in the world game. It's on. And all the World Cup and other news, including the latest on the Socceroos in Qatar in the wake of what in the end was a match that promised so much before falling off a cliff against France. And of course, the Matildas with their European players returning from international duties and the A-League women's one week in. Then with, as I said, the greatest show on earth now well and truly underway and with Australia's crunch match against Tunisia just days away, our correspondent from the BBC Africa, Rob Stevens, will give us his thoughts on the Eagles of Carthage in the wake of their stalemate against Denmark. They dominated the early stages and were every bit of match for the Danes, who many have predicted to go far in the tournament, all very ominous for Australia, who simply must win to stay alive. So we're looking forward to a conversation with Rob to see what he thinks and take a look at the chances of the other African nations. Then the Tunisian theme continues as we prepare ourselves for Saturday's critical group tie. And while the diaspora of the North African country is around 30,000 in Qatar, it's just 500 in Australia. But one of those happens to be Perth Glory Salim Khalifi. And while he was born and raised in Switzerland, his heritage is with the ancient country he ultimately pledged his allegiance to after representing Switzerland at every level from under 16s through to under 21s. Khalifi declared for Tunisia in 2019 and won his first senior cap that year. So who better to dig a little deeper from the inside of the dressing room than a man who's recently been there? And we'll wrap it up with World Cup Corner, including a special guest appearance from our producer Damien Tardio and a snapshot on his thoughts on England and Wales start to the World Cup from Derek Dyson who's on the bench this week. No edge, he's just busy, world's busiest man as Willem will tell us but Willem you are in the middle of it, I'm looking at you on the camera, it's a beautiful morning over there in Doha, how have you settled in mate? Every morning's a beautiful morning in Doha at, uh, at this time of year, Rob weather-wise, and yeah, World Cup's on. How good World Cup box-to-box hasn't happened in my time. Uh, yeah, coming to you from Lusail, which is in the north of uh, north of Doha. It's a, a brand new development, a brand new town, uh, really, which has been built since uh, the World Cup was granted the... Uh, the, uh, oh, since Qatar was granted the uh, the World Cup in 2010, we're about a 10-minute walk from the Lusail Stadium where the Saudis have shocked Argentina. Uh, we're about a 20-minute bus ride from the Albate, so we're in the north here. Yes, Rob? I was just going to say, Willem, um, the one thing that I did want to ask you is that uh, judging from the, the look of the hotel room, uh, there's no shipping containers inside. It looks like Edge and the Green and Gold Army have absolutely nailed um, the the best accommodation in town, mate. Look, we stick the yeah, we stick the boots in, uh, studs up two feet at times on the uh, on the world's busiest when he when he deserves it. But there's a million visitors uh, to this city over this month, and there's only thirty thousand hotel rooms, and every Green and Gold Army guest has one. So they've uh, they've they've done a magnificent job. But it's a, it's an interesting town, Rob. There's uh, there's three million people that live in this country. Only three hundred thousand are actually uh, Qataris. Mm-hmm. To be a citizen of Qatar, you have to be a descendant of X amount of royal family. So it's not like Australia. You couldn't. Go there and work for for five years and then become a uh, a citizen. Um, so there's lots of migrant workers. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a, a reason for being here. Uh, speaking to the man on the street, and I say the man because there aren't many women on the street, but every man on the street uh, has a has a background. Um, the migrant workers are around. There's lots of construction not complete. It's a little bit sad uh, in some ways, but but fascinating in others. And there's uh, there's the, the city that we're in now, Lusail. It's all brand new construction. Then you head into the, uh, the center of Doha. There's the West Bank, which is uh, a world-class city in terms of the high rises and the, the light shows at night. And then there's also uh, the culture with the uh, the Sugwak, which is uh, 
something that we've been pumping up as part of the Green and Gold Army Tour and something that I think is, uh, is worth the price of admission, the old standard markets. Mm-hmm. And you talked about uh, the men on the street, um, the, uh, the lack of women on the street. You talk about migrant workers, um, uh, the LGBTQ plus story um, it, it still continues throughout. Uh, you listen to podcasts, you read articles, uh, you watch the television and um, and it um, it is going to be a, a prevailing and for good reason theme throughout the course of the tournament. So you're there now. Uh, what are your first-hand observations of how that uh, uh how do I describe it? But but those issues are, yep. are landing with the locals and um, and with the tourists that um, that you're associating with. Everyone is is very well behaved. There's there's minimal drinking on the street. There's minimal carry on. It's a very very different feel to Russia. It's a, it's a much slower feel, a much calmer feel. Uh, and in terms of issues like the LGBTQI community. Um, rightly or wrongly from our Western position, uh, I'd say that from a, a Qatari or a, a, an Arabic perspective, they've smothered it to an extent. It's not like there's rainbow flags throughout the street. Uh, we saw the American journalist Grant Wall post that he was detained for, for 20-odd minutes trying to wear a, a rainbow shirt into a stadium, and there's, uh, there's, there's public statements saying Qatar proud of this, that it's not for the West to impose their views uh, uh, on, on Qatar during this tournament. So, look, there's two sides to the argument. Um, we know firmly where we sit on it, but... Yeah, is it, is it for the West to then come and pose those views? Uh, very vexed issue, I think, depending on where you come from. Yeah, no, look, it's interesting. I was listening to the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, it dropped uh, this morning, and uh, I, I did hear an interesting perspective. And, and as you've said, anyone who listens to this show know that we've had very firm and very strong views on, on those subjects. But uh, uh, the, uh, the next World Cup in the USA, Canada, and Mexico, uh, it will be the boot very firmly on the other foot. Um, so um, it's it will be interesting to see if uh, some of the more conservative nations around the world um, arrive and say that they want to declare um, their opinions and and make public stances on on issues that they uh, uh, hold dear to their hearts for whatever reason. So uh, it was an interesting perspective to say there are two sides to every story. But uh, I guess uh, we have covered this chapter and verse, and we will continue to. Uh, put the spotlight on on those issues, not only during the tournament, but afterwards as well. And uh, the rest of the world's media is too. But uh, I guess uh, today, uh, for the rest of the show, we are going to transition to football and uh, and the matches we've seen so far, the ones that come. So um, why don't we get stuck into that one? Let's get stuck into it. The Socceroos have lost their World Cup opener to France 4-0 in Al-Wakra, meaning Saturday's meeting with Tunisia becomes all important if they are or we are to progress Craig Goodwin scored Australia's first World Cup goal from open play in over eight years, but that sparked a French procession of goals from Rabiot, Giroud, Mbappe, and Giroud again. In the group's other game, Tunisia and Denmark played out a nil-all draw, and Rob, we will be Tunisian football experts by the time this program's done. Uh, I think that second goal, Rob, is going to be a bit of nightmare fuel for Australian football fans for years to come. That killed all uh, confidence and momentum. Um, I'm not sure it was Nathaniel Atkinson's fault. I think probably put that one on Matty Ryan. And I'm a big, big Matt Ryan back at the critics will come. But yeah, there was no need to play out. And there were three pretty slow uh, timid passes to that point. And I'm not sure from that point, even Graham Arnold, Rob, would it, uh, say that they played like 11 boxing kangaroos. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and um, and look, I know you don't want to be harsh on Matty Ryan, but uh, ultimately it was the decision he made and the opportunity he had to make that decision all on his lonesome. And uh, it was... Um, 
a moment of madness as far as I'm concerned. To play out the back at the best of times, you need to be uh, uh, in an environment where you have players who, who are pretty much able to sense each other's behaviour and, and know what they're doing. Uh, a well-oiled machine uh, can effectively do that in a high-level competition. But for Australia, at the level that our players play at week in, week out, and Matt Ryan, who is not playing for, for his club first-team football at the moment, he's, so he hasn't got uh, match fitness, so to speak, uh, to do that against the firepower of France, even without Benzema and Pogba, uh, when you've got um, Kylian Mbappe there, and as you say, Olivier Giroud, uh, they, they were playing with fire and they got severely burnt. All of the momentum energy got sucked out. And, and you could forgive uh, the fact that they went down 2-1 um, and and it was still competitive. But what I really find very difficult to accept afterwards is having watched Argentina go down to Saudi Arabia and the fact that Feddingham, Saudi Arabia, rode their luck. We know that. I mean, why does Argentina put three in the back of the net and, uh, and there's three offside uh, um, goals chalked off well that's um something that history will that will uh, determine but the saudis rode their luck and when they had their foot on the throat they didn't take it off and we didn't do that so um uh, just so disappointing that second goal when uh, when we had all of the momentum and the french on the back foot well i'm at uh at, what was it like what was the feeling like in the stadium did your jaw drop i mean the the, the energy pendulum must have just swung completely the other way yeah, it was awful. Um, and the, the French crowd, they sit like they're in a library. They don't give everything, but when the goals go in, they do make a, a pretty decent din. So uh, it, it certainly did swing uh, on that on that second goal. I want to take a listen to a bit of what Graham Arnold said, uh, a bit of criticism coming out of his presser that he said that they ran out of legs in the second half. Uh, I'm not sure that that can be the case when you've got five subs in the first game of a, uh, of a tournament. Uh, but he did go into bat for Nathaniel Atkinson. Let's take a little bit of a listen here. He's learned, uh, you know, it's... I thought the kid uh, actually did decently well. You know, he's um, he uh, he did his best against one of the play best players in the world. And uh, you know, we had Lecky, especially in the first half, Lecky and Jackson Irvine helping. That was the plan. Uh, you know, when Mbappe got the ball, that three of them got out there and and helped. Um, but uh, how do you stop someone so quick like that? It's uh, very difficult. So um, it's a great lesson for the kid, and um, you know, he'll move on with it. Got to say, Rob, from a non-soccerous uh, non perspective, I was blown away by what I saw from Kylian Mbappe. That is the best of what professional sport has to offer. He is lightning quick and he deserves to be king when Ronaldo and Messi inevitably give it away. I don't think mm -hmm. any right back in the world would have had a chance of, uh, of keeping him quiet across the full 90 minutes. He's just phenomenal. He's that quick. There's mm -hmm. times where he'd, uh, he'd get his head up to look for a cross and have three or four touches on the ball without looking at it. Mm -hmm. uh, e extraordinary and, and genuinely world-class. That was, that was very special. Oh, no question about it. We, uh, we started the podcast when he was playing for Monaco and, uh, and he was the next big thing and emerged. I guess the one frustration is that he plays in Ligue 1 and um, he, uh, he uh, will be there for the foreseeable future unless, of course, Madrid managed to extract him. Uh, uh, but uh, my wife wandered down this morning, uh, our time to, to watch a little bit of the game and, and I just pointed out Mbappe uh, just as he was about to, to go through some of that magic that you explained and and she just said he's on another level and now she's a girl who grew up with an Italian father who watched the Azzurri many times so she knows a bit about the game but um, to be able to make that assessment uh, within a couple of minutes uh, tells you just how good the guy is and, and to be fair to Nathaniel Atkinson he did turn Mbappe inside out on one occasion and almost nothing <laughs> him so so you know he'll be dining out on that for the rest of his life maybe he'll uh, sort of delete that uh, uh, that second goal from the uh, after dinner circuit but um, uh, but he, 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 he did step up and, and uh, he, he would have been with uh, well not within his rights but 
um, but you could understand a player um, being. Uh, um, you know, uh, starstruck in a way, but um, but losing some of his confidence after that earlier incident. And to his credit, he he didn't he, he kept going and uh, um, and um, and and was more than serviceable after after that second goal. He's a very easy target, but no, I think he should be proud of himself. I thought he was excellent for a guy to come from from little old Tasmania through the Australian uh, system and now abroad. Uh, he'll be on to bigger, better th- things in his club career. Unfortunately, life only gets easier for uh, for him from here on in. Uh, one thing I couldn't really cop was the fact that we played six foot eight Sutar and still got monstered. Uh, monstered in the air by Olivier Giroud. So that's another uh, disappointing uh, disappointing thing to uh, to close off on there. We'll be back to the, uh, the Socceroos, though, as we turn our attention to Tunisia. We have mentioned Saudi Arabia, though, a couple of times, and they deserve their moment in the sun. First shock of the tournament, they've defeated Argentina 2-1 in Lusail, just uh, just 15 minutes up the road uh, from where I'm coming to you from. Salam al-Dosri's winner is going to live long in the memory. It's just the third World Cup win from 17 matches for the Green Falcons and atones for that 5-0 loss they suffered when they were embarrassed uh, in front of the world in the 2018 tournament opener. In the group's other game, Poland and Mexico played out a nil-all draw. World Cup king, Guillermo uh, Ochoa, he lives in the uh, he lives in the, in the cryogenic freeze for four years, Robin, that he pops out at World Cup time and he's, uh, he's, the, uh, he's the star of the world. He saved the uh, penalty from Robert Lewandowski. So Saudi stand a real chance to progress for just the second time. They did it on debut uh, in 94 and for Argentina. Argentina, the dream isn't over. Uh, just think back to Spain in 2010 when they lost their opener to, uh, to Switzerland and went on to lift it. Yeah, I had a bit of banter going on uh, over the last week with Marcello Mora Iarao from The Guardian, our uh, sometimes Argentine correspondent who you'll also hear on The Guardian Football Weekly with Max Rushton. And uh, um, and I asked uh, Marcello if she'd come on during the course of the tournament, which she's gratefully, uh, graciously agreed to. But uh, uh, she was uh, having a bit of fun at our expense, um, wondering whether Andrew Redmayne was going to perform some of his antics. And uh, and I, d- I just said to her, look, just don't count us out. You know, we're a serious football side, and I'm expecting you know, some good things to happen. And uh, and then I, I got a message for her when we were leading one nil in the wake, obviously of Argentina losing. So, and just it was the sort of the 180 degree opposite of what she'd been talking about. And and the funny woman that she is, she just said, Rob, we have to talk about this. But then it all went pear-shaped. Uh, the big statement from a contender thus far, save maybe for, for France, has come from England. So we're going to throw that over to Derek Dyson later in the uh, in the program in World Cup Corner. He's filed a comprehensive report uh, for us on Group B. We'll leave the World Cup for just a moment. Turn to some domestic affairs. French magazine L'Equip have reported Patrick Isnorbo is the front runner for the vacant managerial job at Troyes. They're a, a top flight league club and part of the city football stable, so that makes uh, that makes sense. They sit 13th of 20, a uh, little bit more than half the season to play. So Kisnorbo, when you're in the city football group, eyes are on you. Uh, he's highly rated. He was linked to Sunderland uh, a little bit previously. Uh, it'll be a good move for him. It'll be rough for City. They've been a, a sort of pillar of stability for a long time. The, the Mombear to Kisnorbo, 
uh, changeover was handled really well. But again, they're within that that football stable, so you'd think a replacement wouldn't be too hard to come by either. All right, well, an excellent start. Uh, we are going to talk to a man who we chat to about African football from the BBC from time to time. Uh, never was it more important than to understand our opponent than this uh, coming Saturday's tie against Tunisia. It is simply a must-win match. Otherwise, it's a dead rubber against Denmark. We're going to talk to Rob Stevens from the BBC Africa about Tunisia and the other African nations next on Box to Box. Well, if you haven't started your Christmas shopping yet, it's time to. Now, Willem, you know that you don't need to do any of this duty-free shopping uh, whilst you're travelling over there in Qatar, do you? Oh, why would you win the, uh, the savings every single day at the house? Exactly. That's right. Like uh, Calvin Klein Euphoria, 50 mils, Odeba Farm, just $34.99. That's $55 off the recommended retail price. Estee Lauder Beautiful, 30 mils, Odeba Farm, $49.99 to save $50. Would you be getting that for your, your lovely mother, Cheryl, um, snipping in the uh, Christmas stocking for her? Might be in line, I think, Rob. Sounds pretty good to me. I think so. There's also Hugo Boss number one, 125 mil eau de toilette for $39.99, save $69 off the recommended retail price. And speaking of uh, Switzerland, as uh, we will do or have done with uh, our guest Salim Khalifi from Tunisia, because he was born there, Mont Blanc Explorer, 60 mils eau de parfum for $49.99, save $73. That is massive. Chemist Warehouse, Willem, you said it, where the great savings are. Every single day. That is correct. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be a goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. Um, Like the rest of the world, we waited four years. We qualified by the skin of our teeth uh, against Peru and had so much hope that hope against hope that uh, Australia might shock the world. But unfortunately, that script had been written a little earlier in the day when it was uh, Saudi Arabia who managed to shock the world by beating Argentina. And Australia did uh, hold out hope, obviously, after nine minutes, that wonderful Craig Goodwin goal. Uh, we, we dared to dream until Killian Mbappe turned up and decided that it wasn't going to work out the way that we'd hoped. Now, we have a huge match. Uh, it's just simply a must-win match against Tunisia this coming Saturday. And the Tunisians themselves were very, very good value against Denmark. They were pegged as the team that everyone in the group was going to beat. They had other plans themselves. And the man who covers all of uh, the African football for the BBC Africa is uh, a chap who's joined us several times over recent times and always, speaking of good value, knows the African game inside out. And it's Rob Stevens. And we welcome Rob back to the show. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Enjoying the World Cup so far. Thanks for having me back to, to chat about the Africans. No, not at all, mate. And uh, and so this match against Tunisia, we've got actually uh, uh, Salim Khalifi, who plays uh, uh, for Perth Glory over here. He's been capped a couple of times for Tunisia, Swiss-born, but uh, of uh, Tunisian heritage. We'll talk to him a little bit later on. But insofar as your insights, um, you, you would have been seeing some of the punditry around Tunisia uh, that uh, that they were almost framed as the easy beats of uh, of this group. Uh, ranked 30 in the world, uh, they, they were never going to be that. Yeah, I think... Um... In terms of the qualifiers and, and their performances earlier on this year at the Africa Cup of Nations, they were one that we thought were maybe a bit, not necessarily undercooked, but probably one of the poorer or the weaker African teams insofar as they really scraped through in their qualifier against uh, Marlegs. They need their own goal and a red card in the first leg away in uh, in Bamako to, to get over the line in that one. And in the second leg, 
they they defended deeply against a, a very talented Mali team, uh, and as well in the Africa Cup of Nations, they were beat by a very vibrant Burkina Faso side in the uh, quarterfinals. So that, that felt like a disappointment in terms of the the caliber of the two sides. And then in terms of the uh, the warm up matches, they 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 weren't um, they weren't brilliant in those. They they beat Iran in behind closed doors friendly um, a few times ago. Uh, that was uh, back in uh, just a week before the tournament. Before that, in September, they lost to Brazil 5-1. So we thought that they were maybe a bit of a defensive side. Uh, but on this occasion against Denmark, they, they really impressed with their tackling. And actually, one thing that stood out is the support that they've been getting from mm. the Qatari locals and many Tunisian fans as well, travelling, making the short distance uh, trip to Doha. So the, the the stadium, the Education City Stadium, was absolutely packed with North African red. Uh, so in that case, it was kind of a home environment for them. They couldn't quite get the line in terms of the chances. But as you said, now this, this game, both Australia and Tunisia would have targeted it as the ones that they thought they needed to win if they were to progress to the next round. Round, given the two European sides in in that uh, in that group and the quality of them, so I mean this is an absolutely massive game on 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 Saturday for both of these teams now. The manager Jalil Kadri, uh, he's been in since they flicked Monde Kabea during uh, or after what was a disappointing end to the African Cup of Nations. Uh, Kadri got them through qualifying, always uh, always tough. You mentioned it was uh, maybe by the sort of sort of bare bones of red card and a known goal. Is he held in in considerable esteem, Kadri? I wouldn't say that he's a massive name. He's obviously someone who's promoted from assistant coach. Um, there are people kind of maybe questioning his 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 tactics as well because they've obviously, you know, their, their strength is their defence in in one ways. But I think in the game against Tunisia, we saw flashes of what they could do going forward. They had Yusuf Masakni, their experienced forward, who who missed the last World Cup through injury. It was great to see him on the world stage threading passes through. Uh, he didn't use Wabi Krasri, which we thought he might, the um, uh, the Montpellier attacker. He's he's had experience in France. Um, so maybe I think Jalal Kali is probably the, the, the least, well, one of the least experienced in, in the African coaches in terms of the level of where he's coached previously. Um, but he seems to be maybe getting the best out of the team uh, in, in that opening game, at least. On to Senegal. They had an enviable record of winning every World Cup opener they'd played in. That was unfortunately snapped by the Dutch, but the 2-0 the scoreline was no reflection. They were well and truly in that. It seems maybe easy and obvious to say that they're lacking quality up top. Didn't have the finish, of, of course, without Sadio Mane there. But having also had a look at Ecuador, can you see them getting out of this? It, it is a very competitive group. Can you see them getting through? Yeah, I think the game against Qatar is a must-win, uh, full stop, because... Given the performance of Qatar the other day and how Ecuador did and, and what's coming around the corner, it was always going to be a tricky opener for Senegal. Uh, the headline is, how do you replace Sadio Mane? It's so difficult, uh, a player like that, losing him so soon before the tournament. But as well, I I was a bit worried about Senegal going into this tournament because of the uh, the form or the lack of for Edouard Mendy and Kalaju Koulibaly at Chelsea. They've had stop-start seasons. Uh, Mendy's been in and out of the team. Uh, in terms of the other players that they've got, Abdou Diallo is an injury doubt now. Cheko Kayato is an important midfielder for them. They've lost a couple of fullbacks through injury and, and uh, lack of having a club from the AFCON winning team from earlier this year. So Bunasar is out injured. Sally Usis has not made the trip because he's been without a club. So they've kind of lost a bit of the core or a, a bit of a drop-off from that Africa Cup of Nations uh, success. I think if this tournament was in the summer, we would have been talking about Senegal much more. But the way things have panned out in the last month, uh, sorry, the last six months having a Winter World Cup in terms of uh, a mid-season World Cup, I should say, uh, that's kind of hit them. 
so I think in terms of goals as well, their talisman, Sadio Mane, he's the record goal scorer for, for Senegal with 34. And then there's a drop-off to Ismail Assar and uh, uh, Famadou Jeju, who both have 10 each. So I think I think this game against uh, Qatar is a must-win in terms of them getting back into action. And then they'll have to look for a point or maybe to beat Ecuador, who looked very handy in that opener against uh, Qatar uh, in the opening game. Morocco, like like Australia, they've got a, a very similar sort of record about to kick off in their in their sixth World Cup in just a matter of hours. As we record, they made it out of the groups once. They went deep in AFCON earlier in the year, but were a little bit light on for goals. They've got, I guess what you could say is a manageable group, Belgium, Canada and Morocco. Uh, sorry, Belgium, Canada and Croatia. Uh, what are you expecting of them? I'm actually quite quite positive about Morocco. They've changed the manager almost every month. Uh, I think when I talked to you guys last before the before the World Cup qualifiers, they were with Vahid Halihodzic and there was a kind of will they, won't they about sacking him. And it seemed to be every month this year that we had rumours that they was, it was going to happen. Uh, it finally happened in August and they went for Walid Regragui, Reg- who uh, had success domestically with Widad Casablanca winning the league title in the African Champions League. That means they've recalled Hakim Ziyech uh, and he was important for them in uh, in their warm-up win against Georgia. And I think I think they've got an outside chance. They've got some attacking flair. They're solid defensively. They've got a very good keeper in Bono uh, from Savela, who, who won La Liga's Golden Glove last season. Um, so I think with the, you know, with with Belgium's golden generation seemingly, you know, slightly over the hill or coming down the hill slightly, uh, they've been struggling. They lost to Egypt in a warm-up. Uh, Croatia are a great side, but again, some of their star players are, are slightly tipping 30. Canada are a bit of an unknown quantity in terms of returning to the World Cup after so long, but they they look impressive. So I think that if um, if Morocco get a point at least in their opener, then they've got a good chance of progressing. They've got some talented players. They've got um, En Nesri up front, who plays for Sevilla as well. So they've got some experienced players there. Um, uh, but again, it's just like getting that World Cup experience. They haven't had a win at the tournament since France 98. So I think it's 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 one that they need to seize the moment and see if they can and start well in that group. On to Ghana. They head in as the lowest-ranked side in this World Cup, but we know not to read too much into that. Asamoah Gyan read, uh, led a bit of a, self, uh, a self-led campaign to, to get included in the squad. That hasn't worked, but they have gone for the experience of the two IU brothers, so last dance for them, you'd expect. At the other end of the spectrum, they've got a, a bunch of young players who have chosen to represent Ghana uh, as opposed to some other options that they had on the table. It is a brutal group, though, so do you think they could reprise 2010 or is it going to be a little bit much? I think it's going to be a really tough ask. Um, Otto Addo, he's, he's not had the easiest of rides since joining. They scraped through the qualifier by beating uh, Nigeria on away goals. Uh, and part of that was thanks to a goalkeeping error. Uh, they, they weren't great over the summer and in their warm-up matches either in uh, in September, losing to Brazil and then narrowly beating Nicaragua. The, the big question for Otto Addo has been trying to bolster the squad with members of the Aspera. So you've had Tarek Lamptey and Naki Williams come into that squad. And I think it's more about him trying to gel the side uh, and, and trying to find his best tactics and the best 11 uh, to get it going. It looked like in their warm-up against uh, Switzerland, that raised some eyebrows when they won 2-0. Um, so it's just a question of whether he can carry that momentum into the tournament and if they've found uh, a, a good balance as well. They've got some uh, nice attacking talent through Inaki Williams, through Kamaldine Samoyana, uh, through Fatou Isaku, who's a, is a young teenager playing for Sporting Lisbon, who's yet to really burst onto the scene, but is seen as very promising. Uh, and actually, the, the worry was going to be coming into the tournament. They had an f- injury to their first-choice goalkeeper, Jojo Wallacott, who plays for Charleston. He injured a finger in his last uh, warm uh, last 
league match uh, before the tournament. Then they had Richard Afori, who's an experienced backup. He got injured as well. So there's a question mark, a goalkeeper. It looks like it's going to be uh, 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 Manaf Nawal Dean, who is going to keep goal for, for Ghana. So I think um, it, it's definitely going to be tough for them. There's the added added um, uh, added fixture at the end of the group stage playing Uruguay, which many are seen as revenge. Can they get revenge for 2010 and the Luis Suarez handball? There are no survivors in the Ghana squad from from that match. So I hope that that pressure doesn't sort of eat at them in the first two games that really they ought to concentrate on first uh, with, um, with, with Portugal, their first game, which was probably the toughest one in the group to start with. And finally, Cameroon, the indomitable Lions, so much fun to watch uh, during the, uh, the AFCON earlier this year, just fell short uh, on home soil. Are they still running with the, the sort of brawny, strong, old school front two of, uh, of Akambi and, and Abubakar? And how do you think they'll go? Yeah, again, Cameroon, they decided to change coach after AFCON. Rigobert Song was appointed and uh, it kind of seen as being basically a mate of Samuel Etu, the head of the football federation there in Cameroon. So there have been question marks about, about Rigobert Song as well. There's worries that they are undercooked as well. They only had uh, one match in, in June uh, and July, in June when a lot of players were playing warm-ups. That's because they had an AFCON qualifier cancelled. They didn't organise a friendly at that point. Uh, they'd lost both warm-ups in September to Uzbekistan and South Korea. Uh, and then they drew with Panama as well ahead of the tournament. And and again, I, you'd say that their most informed player in terms of of, of, of club form is Eric Maxim Trupo-Moting, who had, uh, I think it was 10 goals in nine games for Bayern Munich heading into this tournament. And he's not even a guaranteed starter because Vincent Abubakar is the captain. He was top scorer at the AFCON earlier on this year. And uh, Trupo-Moting only came on as a substitute in in that match. And again, it felt like at AFCON, the, the former coach, Tony Conceição, couldn't manage to get Chupo Moting and Abubakar and Carl Toko Okambi into the same starting eleven. And it seems like Rigobert Song has had that same same problem in a way. They brought in Brian Mbuemo from, uh, from Brentford, who was a France youth international. He started the past few games. So I feel like they need to get Chupo Moting into that eleven because he's the guy who's in form and probably high on confidence and, and going for goals. And then much of the same of the other African teams, they're, they're fairly solid in defence and attack. They've got a very good goalkeeper in, in Andre Onana, who's now at Inter Milan, uh, who's not had masses of game time. But they've got a solid team, but again, uh, an absolutely, uh, well, a really, really tricky group. They're, they've got to target those first two games against Switzerland and Serbia because you don't see them necessarily causing an upset against Brazil and the squad that they've got. Although, you know, we looked at the Saudi Arabia result from uh, from that, their game against Argentina because you know these results are possible, but you think that Cameroon, they've got to pick up points in those first two games. Rob, um, you've just shown us exactly why we got you on. You are an expert of the first water on African football and our listeners will know a hell of a lot more about uh, the, the nations that they're going to be watching from uh, the mighty continent uh, of, of Africa over the course of the next month. Now, before we let you go, I, I want to, I want to um, imagine for a moment that Graham Arnold, the national team coach of Australia, uh, will have a few sleepless nights. Um, he'll have box to box drop into his podcast feed and he's listening to the show and he's hearing this expert on African football talk and he's wondering what he needs to do to take down Tunisia to make this happen. So uh, as much as you are a passionate African football man, I want you to tell us what you would tell 
Graham, he needs to do. Based on the exposed form that you've seen over the past 24 hours, you saw the best of Australia for about 20 minutes, you saw the worst of Australia for pretty much the rest of the game, and then you saw a 90-plus minute uh, uh, performance from Tunisia. So uh, I've set the scene for you, Rob. What are you going to say to him? You know, it's tricky because uh, Australia, you know, they've been known for being physical. They like to get balls in the box. They've got a, a centre-forward there. Tunisia for for they love defending that's that's what they they do so well i think in one way you need to shut down their creativity so if yusuf masakni is still playing you need to get around him stop the supply into him stop him trying to thread through through balls forward um it's probably going to be an aspect to try and quieten the crowd as well um given that we're expecting it's going to be tunisia dominated now i'm sure the aussies of course will make themselves known but they'll they'll probably be uh be outnumbered in the stadium uh it's a question of whether Australia can play some tricky football themselves in tight spaces to release players behind. But I don't know if they've got it from having watched the playoff against Peru and then uh, the the match against France. They're going to have to have time on the board, ball, get Aaron Moy on the ball, get him forward, get get the fullbacks progressing up the field to try and get the 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 Tunisia players uh, in in the Tunisia fullbacks outnumbered. There, I think it's going to be a really interesting game to see it how it pans out because I think. It's going to be about midfield dominance and and whether the you know Isa Laiduni was brilliant against uh, Denmark. If he does the same and Tunisia get more of the ball, uh, it's going to be interesting. But through a lot of time, Tunisia like to sit back and play on the counter attack, and maybe Australia as well have been used to that setup as well. So I think it's up to one of those teams to take the game by the scruff of the neck to say no, we're going to dominate the ball, we're going to take it forward and, and take the game to the opposition. Um, it's going to be a, a really enthralling game, I think. Arnie, if you're listening, please take note. Attack, attack, attack. Live on your feet. Do not die on your knees. Rob, thanks so much, mate. We might, uh, depending on how you know the African nations progress, uh, we might uh, get you back on in a couple of weeks' time because at some point, whether it's this World Cup or one in the, uh, the, the near to distant future, an African nation is going to win the World Cup. It's inevitable it's going to happen. When it's going to happen, we don't know. It might be this World Cup. Um, so if uh, one of the African nations does uh, make a, a deep run, then um, we'd love to have you back on. Yeah, it'd be great. We're a bit worried in my office that that we're not going to have anything to do come the knockout stages like it was in four years ago in Russia. But fingers crossed that at least one African team will get through and, and, and maybe push on. Provided it's not Tunisia. <laughs> I can't make any promises, Rob. No, you can't. Rob, thank you very much. Uh, Rob Stevens from BBC Africa. He uh, has just educated us all and uh, and just given some insights for, for those football loving uh, fans who are listening to, to this podcast on on maybe some of the the uh, uh, the, the players and, and tactics and expectations of the nations that uh, that they might not follow as closely as they follow the European and South American teams. Well, speaking of Tunisia, after the break, we've got one Tunisian playing in the A League. His name's Salim Khalifi. He plays for the Perth Glory. He's been capped. Twice. Uh, for the uh, the, the uh, Eagles of Carthage, and uh, he's going to be joining us next to, to tell us about uh, his expectations and some insights into Tunisia on Box to Box. Well, it is Hoyt Spices time, and Willem, you are in the Middle East, and uh, you are going to be enjoying some wonderful food while you're over there, aren't you? 
Absolutely, though. This is the uh, this is the spice capital of the world. This area, Rob. Um, Michael the Gurdigan Army took us out to the uh, Al Sayan farm the other day, where everything was uh, was farmed and cooked uh, locally, as organic as you could possibly get. But uh, the only thing that was lacking was just maybe a little bit of uh, hoi herbs and spices. Yeah, well, you wander through the Sukhwak Heath and look at, for the uh, the Raz El Hanut or the Baharat, as it's known. Uh, the, the the top of the shop is the uh, the idiomatic expression for this particular spice mix, because if you want to really engage with the World Cup during the course of this event and get some proper flavours, you can use this spice mix that I'm about to tell you about on fish, on lamb, on chicken, anything. You just rub it in, a little oil, you can barbecue it, you can roast it, whatever you like. So it's black pepper, cardamom, cinnamon, cloves, coriander, fresh coriander, or coriander seeds, probably better. Coriander seeds, cumin, nutmeg, and smoky paprika. You mix those all up. It's like the Colonel's 11 Secret Herbs and Spices, Willem, but Middle Eastern style. And you will have the best herb mix you can. You can get the value packs, you can get them from Coles and Woolworths, good independent supermarkets, and you'll be feeling like you're in Qatar with Willem. That is Hoyts, our friends, for the best in the business. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, we've already talked to Rob Stevens from BBC Africa. He has set the scene and uh, and certainly given us hope, but uh, made us, I think, a little bit more nervous about the assignment that the Socceroos have against them this weekend, Saturday night Australian time, against Tunisia, the Eagles of Carthage, as they are famously known. And uh, they played like uh, Lions against Denmark to to secure that, one, that vital one point. Now, whilst we've talked to a correspondent, who better to talk to than a man who's been inside the dressing room, who has represented the nation of Tunisia. And we have one of those very representatives in the Australian A-League. Uh, there's just 500 people of Tunisian background, according to the ABS. Uh, one of them plays for the Perth Glory, and he's on the line with us right now, Salim Khalifi. How are you, Salim? Hey, hi, I'm doing good. Thank you. And you? Very, very well. Now, Salim, just to set the scene, um, so so your parents are from Tunisia. They moved to Switzerland and, and you were born in Switzerland. Uh, you, you played yep. your junior representative football uh, from under 16 to under 21s uh, with uh, with Switzerland. Now, tell us a little about that decision that you made ultimately to, to be your allegiance because obviously Switzerland in the World Cup as well, uh, uh, you might have uh, thought that you could be selected to play for the, the country of your birth, but you chose the country of your heritage. Yeah, like you said, uh, I was born in Switzerland, but uh, both of my parents are from Tunisia. Uh, like when I was uh, younger, Every year I used to go on holiday in Tunisia, so a lot of my family are now in Tunisia and uh, have a strong connection with them. But like you said, you know, I was born in Switzerland and uh, I did my school in Switzerland and uh, I started to play with national team and, uh, uh, until under 21 with uh, Switzerland. And after, I had the possibility to go with... Uh, yeah, the first team of Tunisia, and uh, I did it, yeah. And that was in 2019. You've played for Tunisia twice. So I guess uh, yeah, the yeah. question That's is, right. you must have been hoping uh, that you might be actually in Qatar right now playing um, in the World Cup. Uh, did you feel that you were a chance? Did you speak to the, the manager at any point? Um, did you have any feeling that you might be selected in the squad? I knew it would be difficult because uh, last season it was very difficult for me. I had uh, 
a season where I was injured. I had one operation, so I missed almost half of the season. And, uh, you know, I wasn't at my top. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that was, I think, normal for me that uh, it's going to be tough. Maybe if there is uh, any in injuries, mm -hmm. that could be possible. But I knew it would be, you know, difficult. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, now I'm very happy to see Tunisia in World Cup, you know, doing well. And I hope that uh, they're going to continue like this. Not too well, we hope, Salim. Uh, we, uh, uh, we know who I am married to an Italian uh, girl whose father lived in Australia for 30 years and he still followed Italy all the way. But Salim, before we talk about the World Cup, uh, um, you've arrived in yeah. Australia after nearly 200 appearances across the Swiss Super League and the Bundesliga. You've played Europa League. You, you know what it's yeah. like to travel, but with the stadium renovations that are going on in Perth, uh, uh, you've started your A-League career with five A games crisscrossing the country. Uh, yeah. Tell us, uh, do you prefer flying all over Australia or a one-hour uh, trip on the train from Switzerland in <laughs> Switzerland to Basel or Bern? Different from Switzerland from what I was used to it. But, uh, yeah, this is different. And uh, I know Australia is a, is, a, is a big country. Before I signed here, I knew that you have, like, uh, yeah, big travel. But, yeah, like, five away games in the row, you know, this is very tough. You know, also mentally, physically, this is not easy. You know, and when you're away from your fans every week, you know, you, have, you know that you're going to play in front of uh, the fans from the other team. This is not easy. But yeah, this is part of football. You have to, to accept it. Yeah, it sure is. But one part of football that you would have uh, been used yeah. to is the enthusiastic home crowds. I mean, the, the Zersha Sudkov yeah. uh, uh, in Zurich uh, is famous as one of the most vocal yeah, ultra yeah. Uh, groups. Um, how's that been from, uh, from having uh, that experience of playing in stadiums with with engaged active support to you know Australian crowds where you could probably hear your teammates talking on the pitch. Yeah, uh, this is a little bit different here. Yeah, where we're in Zurich, the fans are uh, like uh, very emotional. You know, when you win and uh, everything goes well, so they are like pushing you and everything is good. But maybe sometimes when it's not working. Like this season, they are not doing so well. There is a little bit more oppression, but, you know, they are here in every game. They are singing from the first minute to the end. This is uh, yeah, a, a big help, I think, for the team. But uh, here in Australia, uh, where we play like now five games, but I see there is, uh, there is a, a, a lot of fans, maybe not like in Europe, but uh, I see that... Uh, the passion is here and they love football. Yeah, they sure do. And uh, we certainly love football on this show. And what we love right now is the World Cup. And uh, you mentioned that uh, you're watching Tunisia from afar, ranked 30 in the world. Uh, a lot of Australians uh, had uh, the Tunisia match penciled in as a match that Australia should win. Now, in yeah. the past 24 hours, we've seen Australia um torn apart by France after a good start. But then we also yeah. saw Tunisia play uh, an incredibly organised and uh, controlled match against a, a team that many uh, experts thought in Denmark would be a chance to maybe make a very deep run into this tournament. So did that surprise you at all that Tunisia did so well against ten Denmark? 
uh, it didn't surprise me because uh, I knew the quality of the team. And, you know, I was speaking with uh, a few players from uh, here, Port Glory, and they said, yeah, Tunisia going to lose. And so I told them, you know, you're going to see. And uh, this is exactly what uh, I thought, you know. They, they played a really, really good game, you know. Tunisian mentality, you know, you always have to give everything on the pitch. Uh, you have to run to fight. And uh, I think this is what we saw yesterday. And uh, there was also a lot of good players, you know, who play in, uh, in Bundesliga, in the French first divi- division. So you have good players with good quality. And uh, I think the difference is like the mentality. Uh, the Tunisian mentality, you know, they give everything on the pitch. That's, I think, that may, uh, do the difference. Salim, I'd like to ask you about the manager, Jalal Kadri. He's only been in the job for a short time, uh, but he did yeah. help the team qualify past Mali uh, back in March. Uh, now, he took over yeah. from Monde Kaber, who was the manager uh, who you played your two matches for Tunisia under. So yeah. how has Jalal yeah, Kadri uh, changed the team's style uh, since March when he came in? I personally don't know him uh, very well. You know, I had a few contacts with uh, the staff, but I didn't have contact with him personally. But, uh, yeah, I think he, he brought uh, new, uh, new players, you know, who maybe have before. And, uh, but I don't think uh, there is a, a lot of difference between uh, what did the old coach and uh, this one. And, uh, yeah, what I see now is doing a very good job. So I hope it will uh, continue like this. And this is Tunisia's sixth World Cup, so like Australia, uh, no guarantees to be there, and it's very, very difficult to uh, to qualify out of Africa. Uh, so always, yeah, a big achievement. So what does it mean to the people of Tunisia on the street to qualify for the World Cup? Yeah, for the people of Tunisia, it's like yeah, uh, you have to qualify for the for the World Cup. You know, like uh, this is a very important thing. You know. And uh, for the fans, this is a, a very big thing. You know, you can uh, show yourself, show that uh, your country can play football. They can, uh, yeah, achieve something uh, worldly. You know. And I'd like to ask you about a couple of the uh, the big names. Wabi Kazri, who is a, a veteran. He's probably yeah. the most known around the world. He's played for Saint-Étienne and Montpellier and Sunderland. Uh, yeah. And then at the other end of the scale, the youngster Hannibal Mechbri, who is uh, he's a Manchester United player on loan at, at Birmingham City. So what can you tell us uh, about those two players? Are they are they the big threats for Tunisia? Yeah, I think so. Wabi Kazri is, I think, one of the most famous players right now in Tunisia. Uh, he did a very good career in uh, France, but I think for me the the best player is uh, Youssef Msekni. I don't know if you know him, but is uh, uh, is uh, the captain. He played yesterday the number seven. Is also one of the most famous player. I think is is very good, and uh, yeah, like you said, uh, Hannibal is uh, a very good player, young player. I think is more for the future and. I think he's going to do well in the few years. And just back to Australia, as Rob mentioned, there's only a small Tunisian um, community in Australia, but one man who made a, a big impact on the A-League was Fahid Ben Kalfala. Uh, he played at Melbourne Victory and Brisbane Raw, and I believe yeah. he still lives in Melbourne. Uh, has Fahid been in touch? Do you know him Do you know him personally? Do you have a relationship uh, with, uh, yeah, as I say, probably the greatest Tunisian player to play in the A-League? Yeah, I have uh, actually uh, contact with uh, Ben Kalfala. 
uh, I don't I don't know him uh, very well, but uh, we used to before I signed here in uh, Australia, we we had a little bit contact. So I know him. I know that he did very well here in, in Australia, and uh, he's a very good player. And he played also for the national team. So I know him also from before. Yeah. Excellent, and uh, and tell us um, the uh, being a bit of a student of ancient history as I am. Uh, anyone who knows a little about um, ancient Rome would know that uh, the Tunisia is a country which uh, which is founded on the ruins of the of the great ancient nation of Carthage. So the uh, the 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 nickname of of the the nation's uh, side the eagles of carthage uh, is is not lost on those who, who watch and then um, those who do uh, uh, understand a little bit about ancient history also know that hannibal uh, who uh, willem just mentioned a player who shares that name crossed yeah. the alps uh, with elephants so this history of Car- of carthage and its connection to tunisia it's a very proud ancient history of tunisia that uh, um, that i'm sure uh, players who represent the country uh, would love the people of the world who only know Tunisia as a North African country uh, but don't know much about it uh, that, that you'd be eager for people to know more about. You know that uh, Tunisia had uh, a nice history so we don't forget what happened uh, in the past. Like uh, I recommend to every people who want to go in Tunisia there is very na- uh, beautiful places like you, uh, yeah, like you say, Carthage, and so this is uh, a very historical, historical uh, place. Very interesting, and yeah, I recommend everybody to go and watch uh, to see this. Salim, well, look, you enjoyed the rest of the World Cup that you're watching. As I said, we don't want you to enjoy it too much on Saturday night because, um, you know, we do uh, obviously, from our point of view, want uh, Australia to, to get through. But uh, we know it's going to be a, a mighty struggle against Tunisia. And uh, and if yeah. uh, Tunisia do happen to win, at least we know there's one Tunisian in Australia who is going to be very happy. <laughs> sure, yeah. An absolute pleasure talking to you, Salim, and uh, and uh, enjoy your, your time in our country. And we, we wish you uh, well. Hopefully, the the Perth Glory season begins to turn around after this break, and and you get some home games, and uh, and that um, and that club uh, uh, that you represent um, that has a great history in our domestic competition uh, can start to see better days. Salim Khalifi from uh, Perth Glory. He is a Tunisian representative and has been a wonderful guest for us uh, in the midst of uh, the build-up to this World Cup clash of the Socceroos against Tunisia. Okay, stick around talking of World Cup. We've got World Cup corner after the break. Well, if you haven't started your Christmas shopping yet, it's time to. Now, Willem, you know that you don't need to do any of this duty-free shopping uh, whilst you're travelling over there in Qatar, do you? Oh, why would you win the uh, the savings every single day at your house? Exactly, that's right. Like uh, Calvin Klein Euphoria, 50 mils, Odeba Farm, just thirty four ninety nine. That's $55 off the recommended retail price. Estee Lauder Beautiful, 30 mils, Odeba Farm, $49.99. Save $50. Would you be getting that for your, your lovely mother, Cheryl, um, snipping in the uh, Christmas stocking for her? Might be in line, I think, Rob. Sounds pretty good to me. I think so. There's also Hugo Boss number one, 125 mil eau de toilette for $39.99. Save $69 off the recommended retail price. And speaking of uh, Switzerland, as uh, we will do or have done with uh, our guest, Salim Khalifi from Tunisia, because he was born there, Mont Blanc Explorer, 60 mils eau de parfum for $49.99. Save $73. That is massive. Chemist Warehouse, Willem, you said it, where the great savings are. Every single day. That is correct. Box to box. Can 
for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. What a great show it's been. The World Cup, we... As football fans, we just count down the days, don't we? Every uh, four years it comes around. And uh, despite all the controversy, everybody's um, bring the world together one way or the other. And uh, we're only a few days in, but the tournament has been great. Willem, you're over there in Qatar. Damo, you're off the bench uh, and uh, joining us for uh, this little wrap. We've got some of Derek to do. So, look, Willem, over to you. Uh, we, we should go to the man in, in Qatar himself to, to steer this ship home for the week. Very kind of you, Rob. I want to throw back to the man, though, in Hillsville, Del Boy Del, as our old mate Dino uh, would call him. Derek has, uh, has compiled a comprehensive rap of Group B. We know he's sort of a little bit resistant to call himself an England supporter, uh, but fair play to him, despite the fact they put a few in there. He hasn't jumped straight back onto them just yet, though. Let's uh, let's throw to Derek uh, for a Group B rap. A couple of thoughts on Group B, which is the group that contains England, Iran, Wales and the USA, of course, we've now gone through the first round of fixtures. Uh, You know that I'm not a traditional England fan, that I very much associate myself with the Scottish national team. But of course, I have an extra interest in England. And I begrudgingly will say that they managed to put history aside, often slow starters in these campaigns, and particularly with their form, dicey form coming into the tournament. Uh, put on a six-star display in their win over Iran. Of course, the subtext for this game was the fact that uh, the Iranian player protests, they refused to sing the national anthem. I wonder whether this got into the heads of those Iranian players. Were they really up for it? Were they at fever pitch? Uh, It would have been an interesting build-up for them. But England fully capitalised on that, and it was a very routine win in the end. A brilliant goal from... Bellingham, England's emerging talisman and at 19 years old, I'm sure, will play in multiple World Cups from here. Great to see Bakayo Saka putting the demons of the Euros behind him with two goals. Nice goal from Raheem Sterling as well. So England will be very pleased with their work and they will qualify if they win their next game. And going into the other side of the group, we had the Wales versus USA game and USA will probably think that this one got away from them. They were very dominant in the first half. Wales were pretty rubbish, but fair play to Rob Page. He brought on the siege siege engine battering ram that is Kiefer Moore in the second half, and he provided a focal point for Wales as they got a toehold in the game. And it was uh, him as part of a, a great attacking move with Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale Uh, getting the ball into the box. Bale won the penalty expertly, and it was an expertly dispatched penalty as well. Bale doing what he does for Wales. May not have been involved in the game, but when it's the big moments, the the man certainly knows when to step up. So Wales probably the happier uh, as both teams live to fight another day in this group. England will play the USA next, not the game the USA would have wanted, and uh, they will be staring down the barrel of elimination if they suffer heavily uh, to England. Uh, Wales, on the other hand, will take on Iran, who surely will be looking for a better display. But this is Wales's big moment uh, to really announce themselves at the tournament and with four points going into the England game, possibly England already qualified. It might be the best route. I'd rather be in the Wales camp at the moment. The only cloud 
for England is that uh, injury to, or supposed injury to Harry Kane. The doctors are assessing him. They didn't need him for this game. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, he didn't get on the score sheet, but he's still the key man up front. So England and Gareth, uh, Gareth Southgate will be sweating on, on his on his fitness. But couldn't have been a better start for England, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, and I'm sorry, lads, about the result for Australia this morning. I, as a passport holder and citizen, I was behind the Socceroos. It was a great start. Um, I can't begrudge Olivier Giroud, however. You know how I feel about that man. So if there was a man that was going to break your hearts, maybe Olivier was it. So I hope you have a good rest of the show, gents. Willem, best of luck with your Qatar adventures. Bye for now. The one thing I do want to touch on, though, Rob, and it's a little bit sad and ugly that this is a talking point, but it did stand out to me that five of the six England goals came from players of either African or Afro-Caribbean descent. Things are rosy, things are good. So once again, they're the darlings of the nation. Let's just hope that if things do sour like they did in the Euros, that they're treated properly and with respect, Damo. Off the back of the 6-2 win, do you think this is the worst possible start for England in the sense that they could get ahead of themselves or almost get an overconfidence? And we know what an England team is like. They tend to bottle it in major tournaments. Is this the worst possible thing for them? Yeah, they're a funny entity. I think more than any side, their crowd and their supporters uh, have, a, have a massive effect. And we've, we've good it can be when they're, when they're chanting football's coming home. They had the run in Russia. Uh, but we can see how grim and how ugly it can be and how sort of productive uh, it could be throughout the, uh, the dying stages of the Euros. So expectation is, is high, Rob. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that point you made about uh, the black players or, uh, or players of, of mixed race scoring, it was not lost on anyone watching that in the wake of the the euro final and the, and the the the, the vicious nasty uh, underbelly of football exposed itself with uh, the racist critics of uh, of um, the players who, who missed the the, uh, the goals um, uh, that um, that Rashford and Saka were amongst the two the the, the goal scorers so so uh, you know these are the very same people that'll be cheering England on um, uh, and uh, and and do it without a trace of irony won't they Damo? yeah they will Robin just off the pitch, Willem, you've been over there for a couple of days now. What's been the uh, the fallout from FIFA's refusal to allow the captains to wear the rainbow armbands? Obviously, Harry Kane was going to wear the rainbow armband. What's been the fallout from that? Got to say on the ground, haven't heard a peep on it, uh, Damo, uh, only through sort of staying connected with the global media, if you like, BBC football and, and the Australian press. That's where you'll see things like this mentioned and discussed, but in terms of, uh, of the people on the street, uh, can't say it, it's made a ripple. Maybe I'm not looking to the rule. I don't, I don't speak for everyone here on the ground and I'm not uh, admittedly in the uh, in the press pack. I'm not sort of in the press conferences. Maybe there's more chat uh, in that regard, but yeah, not hearing a great deal about it. Yeah, and as you say, Willem, I've been listening to you know pretty much every podcast from the Guardian Football Weekly to the BBC to anything else that um, that you know I can fit in a, a day and still sleep and work and watch games. Um, uh, listening to Tim Vickery on one of the BBC podcasts, he was asked that question and uh, asked the view of the South American nations and and these issues are, are in his view. And there's no greater expert on South American football than Tim Vickery. He said they're a non-issue. They're, they're not even taking any notice of it whatsoever. It's not even uh, being discussed. Did see, interestingly, Martin Darun of the Dutch, he posted post their win a, a picture of the Dutch team celebrating and he'd photoshopped on the armbands and said, we're proud. Very strange. Either do it or you don't. Uh, yeah, I thought he was having it a, a little bit both ways there. Missed the mark. Uh, the other big talking point, and this is very FIFA to uh, to get to a World Cup and try to sort of enforce something and 
bungle it so oddly, uh, is this stoppage time, not our stoppage time, but the actual in-game stoppage time. We're seeing 7, 8, 13 minutes uh, on the first day of competition on, on Monday, the first time we had three games. All four of the longest halves in, in World Cup history came. So uh, England against Iran, the first half had 14 minutes, the second had 13, uh, the second half of the USA against Wales ran for 10 and a half, and then the Duck and Senegal in the second half ran for, for 10 minutes. Damo, how's it been as a, a viewer sipping, trying to get through, maybe the eyes get a little bit droopy at the point where the game usually ends, you've got to power through for another 15? It does mean you have to get into the reserve energy, but I like it. I think that this is what we've needed. I think there was obviously shades of this in 2018 Russia but obviously in other competitions they don't really strictly adhere to the stoppage time with the delays in matches but I reckon this is what we really need. It negates time-wasting issues, it really sends a message out, puts the players on notice to, you know, if you're going to want to roll around on the ground or you know, chew up time here and there it's got to be made up after the regulation 45 minutes of the half. So I think, you know, one of my main criticisms of international plays is their tendencies to, you know, want to milk down the clock. This puts that to rest, and I think it's great for the game. And this is coming from an Italian. We've perfected that art, haven't we? <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. No, it's um, it's, a, it's sort of a resonant of, of, of our Indigenous game, really, isn't it? I mean, AFL quarters go for 20 minutes, but they routinely go over 30 minutes. So, uh, you know, they're stopping the clock all the time. So if uh, if FIFA have decided there's going to be 30 seconds for a goal, 30 seconds for uh, a, 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 a replacement, um, and then you throw the VAR in as well, it sort of makes sense. Yeah, the man at the front of this is the chairman of FIFA's referee committee, Pierluigi Colina, a legend of, uh, of ah. World Cups gone by. So yeah, just oh, uh, yes. just can't help himself at this time. Rob, this is this is his uh, moment in the spotlight. Yeah, Pierluigi. I, I mean, I'm probably getting this wrong, but um, I think it was Pierluigi who who uh, famously sent off Zinedine Zidane after the Marco Materazzi headbutt in 2006. Um, maybe wrong. Um, I'm sure somebody can tweet me if I'm right, but you, but everyone knows Pierluigi with the, the Chrome Dome uh, football head. Um, he was a legend of refereeing. All right, boys. Well, let's wrap it up there. Um, Willem, what's the next game you're heading to uh, uh, our time? I'll be heading to Belgium against Canada at 10pm uh, Doha time. Jeez, they're long days, the 10pm kickoff. The, uh, the soccer is matched. Didn't finish till, uh, till 12 o'clock last night and the, the sun goes down at 5, so you're waiting for a long time. But yeah, I've, uh, I've got a good run from, uh, from now, so very excited. And will you be watching the other games um, during the day from a fan park or from the hotel? Yes, I'll be doing my best. The fan parks are absolutely packed. They had 80,000 there on the uh, on the opening night. It got a little bit hairy. Uh, but no, taking in as, uh, as much as you can while also getting to places like the uh, the Sugu for the uh, for the Arabic feed. Rob, it's good here. And Willem, can we get a food review from you next week as well? Just a, a general con- a general roundup of what you've had to eat over the, at the bars and the restaurants in Qatar? Absolutely. I've got to get my hands on some uh, some proper Arabic coffee. And I'm hoping for next week's program. We'll, uh, we, no guarantees, but we might roll a, uh, roll a Simon Hill or even a Michael Edgley through for a bit of a live interview. Uh, on box to box, I did uh, want to know whether you managed to buy yourself a, a Budweiser somewhere. Or, uh, is, is, it, is it as hard as they say to get yourself a beer, or have you been refreshed yourself for the old one? Well, I'm a uh, I'm a Dutchman around World Cup time, Rob. So it's been a, a couple of Heinekens, which has been good. The uh, the Green and Gold Army have done a great job in getting uh, the, the pre-game event was exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and uh, and there were some drinks being served. All right. Well, say hello to the big fella for us. It's been hard to nail him down, but it, uh, as you said, it uh, is one of the most challenging World Cups. And uh, and if you can get uh, a hotel room for every one of your guests in a hotel uh, in a city that has only 30,000 hotel rooms and there's a million guests, then you must be doing something right. All right, Damo, thank you, mate. Um, we'll be um, losing lots of sleep, but you get up at, uh, at Sparrows anyway, mate. So... Uh, um, we'll be uh, watching a bit more football between now and next time we talk with Willem. And hopefully the Socceroos will be in a live situation. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be gut-wrenching if we play there? That's a dead rubber. Okay. See you, Damo. Well done, Willem. Talk Thank you, you very much. Week. Great to chat. Good stuff. Loving it. Okay. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast again this week, right in the middle of the World Cup. Make sure you subscribe to Box to Box. Tell your friends about us. Box to Box stoppage time and offside. There's some great editions of offside sitting out there for you to have a listen to, particularly the Julie Dolman, the most recent one that we dropped. Wherever you get your podcast, tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcasts do drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.